As we are not only new to podcasting, but also recording during the time of social distancing, please excuse us as we continue to refine our sound quality. Your MedLikes co-hosts stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and with Black individuals in our community. We recognize and mourn the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Tony McDade, David McAtee, and countless Black individuals. We recognize that the identities of low socioeconomic status and race are often conflated. While this intersection is important, the two are separate. Confounding class and race can be problematic, and doing so can perpetuate dangerous prejudices and biases that are harmful to the Black community. We wanted to acknowledge this before beginning our podcast because racial injustice pervades all socioeconomic statuses, as evidenced by recent events and stories from our communities. Furthermore, educational and socioeconomic inequality are only some manifestations of institutional racism in America. In addition to continuing our work for first-generation and or low-income students through this podcast, we are reflecting on how to serve as long-term anti-racist allies and what we can do to further the important and necessary work of combating racial injustice. Thank you. Hi everyone, Michaela, Cecilia, and Anitra here. And we're so excited for you to join us on our podcast, MedLegs, finding your footing as a first generation and or low income student in medicine. We're all FGLI students ourselves, which is an acronym for first generation and or low income. And we attend the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. We know that being FGLI in higher education can be isolating at times. Our goal with this podcast is to build a community of support for FGLI students through the sharing of success stories, advice, experiences, and the like. Every episode, we, along with a number of special guests, are going to be sharing our perspectives about navigating a career in medicine as FGLI individuals. We hope you're as excited for these conversations as we are. Did you know, according to the AAMC, one in five medical students has a parent who is a physician. The AAMC explains that the percentage of medical students from families in the highest quintile of household income has not dropped below 48% since 1987. Half of students come from the richest 20% of the population, while the percentage of students from the lowest quintile has never risen above 5.5%. We believe this context is important to keep in mind as you listen to this episode and future episodes of this podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Michaela, Cecilia, and Anitra. And, and welcome, welcome to, to MedLegs. On this kickoff episode of our podcast, we wanted to take the time to introduce our listeners, you all, to us, your MedLegs co-hosts, and also address some of the reasons we believe that our podcast about being FGLI in medicine is so important. Michaela and Celia, do you guys want to start off by introducing yourselves? Sure, I'll go first. Um, So yeah, as you guys know, my name is Michaela. I am a first-year medical student at Penn, and I went to undergrad at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. As far as what I want to do in medicine, I am thinking about surgery, but I'm trying to keep it open and trying not to close any doors too soon, especially since I haven't been in clinics to have any idea of knowing what I could maybe be ultimately interested in. And I guess since this is a first-gen and low-income 
podcast, I should probably address whether I think I'm first gen, low income, or both. My answer would be that I'm definitely first generation. Neither of my parents went to college. And as far as low income, I feel like this is where it gets so iffy for me is that my dad was actually like unemployed at one point in my life because of the recession and everything like that. So when I was growing up in middle school, at a time when I was really like learning about the world and how money works, I was low income. But since high school and everything, my dad has now has a job and everything. So we aren't necessarily considered low income anymore, though we still definitely have taken a financial hit from those years when he didn't have a job. But yeah, basically, that's kind of caused some tension, I guess, for me in terms of being able to relate to other FGLI students. But I guess overall, I would consider myself definitely first gen, formerly low income, not so much anymore. I guess, Cecilia, you can go now. <laughs> I'm Cecilia. I'm currently a first-year medical student at Penn. I went to undergrad at Haverford College, which is 30 minutes outside of Philadelphia. And I'm also interested in surgery, thinking maybe pediatrics, maybe neurosurgery. I'm not sure. Just anything that's hands-on will be interesting for me and um, will be something I'm good at. And I consider myself first-gen and low-income. My mom did go to college and finish, but she went to college in China. And so when she came here, she didn't know any English and didn't go to college here. So that's why I consider myself first gen, low income, just because the income bracket that we're in. Um, I think my my mom doesn't know much English, um, that she couldn't get the same kind of job that she had in China. And so like I've had a low income background for all of my time that I've been in the United States. So Anitra, now we want to hear about you. <laughs> wow, I feel like I'm learning so much about you guys, things that I didn't know about before. This is really cool um, for me. But yeah, I um, so I am actually a second year, um, and I went to undergrad at Cornell. I graduated in, in 2016 and took two years in between undergrad and med school to um, do some research at the National Human Genome Research Institute in Bethesda, Maryland. So during my tenure, I studied sickle cell disease. I'm interested, I came into medical school being interested in hemonc and just generally internal medicine, but I had my first rotation in emergency medicine um, and really, really loved that. So we'll see um, what happens, but I definitely am interested in those two and also in health disparities and health equity research. And as for whether I consider myself first gen, low income, or both, I um, consider myself first gen. Um, neither of my parents uh, went to college. So, and then as for low income, so my dad was also unemployed due to the recession um, for many years. And um, growing up, my mom worked a lot of babysitting jobs. So I would say I was, I would say it was low income. And then um, my mom ended up running a daycare business and that sort of picked up and things kind of got a little better. You guys are supposed to do some fun facts, guys. We got to like add some, <laughs> some flavor, some spice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was purposely <laughs> ignoring that one. <laughs> um, so I did think about this a little bit. And a fun fact that I recently came up with about myself is that I really, really hate chocolate no. ice cream. 
but I like the taste of black and white milkshakes. Interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you like chocolate? Yeah, I like all chocolate except for chocolate ice cream. Hmm. Um, but black and white milkshakes make the cut because they're usually vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup, not chocolate ice cream. Interesting. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Cecilia, do you want to go next? Well, my fun fact is kind of related to like talking a bit about my background and academic journey to Penn Med. Yeah, go for it. So I was born in China and then my um, mom and I immigrated to San Francisco when I was six and it was on the day of my birthday. So I had my birthday on the plane and that's my fun fact. And that was my fun fact at White Coat. So afterwards, we went to San Francisco and lived with my grandparents. And then during the first year, I went to like a newcomer immigrant school for the students who didn't know English, um, just to catch up before going to a public school. So after that year, I was considered caught up, I guess. And then I went to a public elementary school that was near the place where I lived. It was in the neighborhood. I went to an all-girls independent middle school on full scholarship. And then there I had the resources and the counseling to apply to independent high schools in the Bay Area. So after going to an independent high school, I applied to QuestBridge, another national organization that matches high-achieving students who are low-income with universities across the country. And then through that, I got matched with Haverford College, which was very exciting. After Haverford, I was pre-med and came to Penn straight out of college. So you moved from San Francisco, right, to Pennsylvania for college? Yes. And did your mom stay back in San Francisco? Yeah, she just helped me move for orientation, and and then she left. So it's actually actually kind of funny um, that the first time that I've ever been to Haverford and the first time I've been to the East Coast was the day before orientation of college. Wow. Yeah, we didn't have money to to visit or anything. So I just I just trusted the match program. I was like, I want to go to the East Coast um, to be somewhere different. So yeah, I, I just trusted that um, I'm gonna like the campus and uh, that was my first day. Wow, that was a huge leap of faith. I don't know if I would have been able to do that personally. <laughs> That's awesome. I guess, yeah, I could share a little bit about my background and academic journey to Penn as well. So let's see. So I live in South Jersey and the area I've grown up in is pretty rural for New Jersey. And yeah, I like raised pigs, I had 4-H, things like that, Um, which usually people are like not expecting me to say when I say I'm from New Jersey. So it was very rural and my middle school only had about 16 kids in it up until sixth grade. And then we merged with another middle school So we had 30 kids when I graduated eighth grade. And then all of the middle schools, there's about seven of them in my area, merged to go to one high school. And I feel like that was kind of hard, not for the like assimilating into this big school. I mean, they always say like, oh my God, you're the big fish in the little pond. And now that you're going to be the 
little fish in this big pond of a high school. Um, That wasn't so much as hard as it was to like, just come from the middle school that I went to and have a lot of kids be like, there's no way that you know what you're doing or that you're smart because you went to this like hick middle school out in the like, I guess more middle of nowhere than their middle school is because we're all five minutes from each other. So I don't know what their real reasoning was, except that we just had a lot of just a lot less resources than some of the other middle schools around. So that kind of played into my, I guess, self-esteem for a little bit. So I was very determined just to, I don't know, do well in high school. And once I figured out that I was performing to the same level as some of the kids at Mm -hmm. other middle schools, I kind of gotten this idea, like, I've always wanted to be a doctor since Mm -hmm. I was little, and I think I really can do it. So that's when my parents, thankfully, really started taking me to look at colleges. Um, It took a lot of convincing. My dad was very convinced that I was going to go to our county college where we had two years for free, but I was not having it. And thankfully, I had like some help. Not too many kids go to college outside of New Jersey from my high school, but there was one that graduated with my brother that actually reached out to me to see (laughs) if I needed help in applying to like more prestigious schools. And he was super helpful just with learning how to craft my personal statement and like college entrance essays just so that it sounded or just, just kind of like crafting it in a way that made me made my background an advantage to how it, to how I was going to perform in college. So I talked a lot about how like my small town background just makes me not afraid to reach out and talk to people because that's what we do in small towns, I guess you could say. So yeah, and I think that really did stick true for me. I wasn't afraid to talk in class. I wasn't afraid to look for opportunities because none of those opportunities in college were ever available to me before in high school because we don't have as many opportunities, I guess you would say here as some of the other high schools in New Jersey. So I was just very curious in college and I think that served me pretty well. And yeah, that's how I went from being small middle school to high school to college and now the pen. I have a lot of questions, but um, I I won't wait until Anitra tells her story. Um, Yeah, where do I start? I guess, so my parents, immigrated from well my mom immigrated from Trinidad and Tobago uh, which is an island in the Caribbean when she was a young adult and my dad immigrated from Guyana which is a country in South America and I, I was born in Queens and then my parents actually moved us to Long Island because they wanted us to be able to go to a good public school and so they made a lot of sacrifices so that we would actually move I mean but they like always instilled in us the value of education in terms of getting to where you want to be in life and like always told me that you know people could take anything away from you but what they can't take is what's in your mind seeing how hard they work and how much they struggled when I was younger and all the sacrifices they made really pushed me to work hard so that those things wouldn't you know wouldn't be in vain so I ended up going to Lehigh Park Memorial High School I would say a pretty decent um, high school in uh, Nassau County. But I think some of the ways in which I sort of realized that I felt the first-gen low-income aspect of my identity was sort of like when I was applying to colleges or like studying for the SAT or even like, you know, um, getting like registered for AP exams, you know, neither of my parents knew what those things were. Like they didn't know what AP exams were or AP classes, what the SAT was. They didn't know what Cornell was. And neither did I actually until I like started talking to my guidance counselor and my friend 
and, you know, learning about these schools and sort of the opportunities that could potentially come if I got accepted. And so I actually just applied to Cornell on a whim, but still went for it and got in. And it was kind of like shell shock uh, for me. Kind of crazy when you see your parents like wildest dreams and like your own kind of becoming reality. And and I think one of the things for me that I was scared of when I got to Cornell was just like, oh, was this a a fluke? Um, you know, these are going to be I'm going to be surrounded with people so much smarter than I and who come from like very like wealthy families. And some of the you know there was some truth to all of that for sure. Um, but I also found community at Cornell pretty early on and met people who actually understood my background and where I came from. And I think that really helped me adjust to life at Cornell. And so I sort of just like focused on school and like getting good grades. And I, I won't say that it was easy because it definitely was not easy. Um, there were many times when like I didn't know what an honors thesis was. I re- remember actually talking to a friend of mine whose dad is a lawyer and mom is a doctor. And he was mentioning that he was going to like audit a class. And I remember not knowing what that was and sort of looking puzzled and asking about it. And he looked at me like I, w- I had like four heads. What do you mean? Like, and, and I actually, I felt so mortified that I, when he actually told me what it was, I was like, oh, that's what you meant. I just didn't know how to react in that moment. I just he made it sound like I, it was common knowledge. And I'm sure it was to many students, but to me, I just didn't know. So there have been many, mo- I feel like moments in my life where I sort of kind of forget about my first and low income identity. And then it comes back suddenly and unexpectedly. So then after college, I knew that I really wanted to learn more about the impact I can make in in terms of striving for equity, especially when it comes to health. I'm very much a believer that health is a human right, and it breaks my heart to know that vulnerable populations are disproportionately affected by virtue of various things, but about policy systems that don't recognize their needs or are sort of indifferent to them. So that's why I spent two years at NIH and sort of fell in love even more so with health disparities work. And then after that, I was I realized, okay, okay I want to bridge my passions for medicine with this. So here we are. I completely agree with the the disconnect between someone who has that background, who already knows about the culture of higher education, and then it's just like, has, has never met someone who has never experienced that before. I've resonated with that story a lot. Also, I'm just kind of nervous because I've never talked about my experience and background in a setting like this before. It's always been in personal statements and then you just send it to the admissions team and you don't really see them read it. So I know how to write about my experience on paper because I don't know if this is the first time you guys are talking about your own experiences in a setting like a podcast. Um, I have never really talked about it too publicly. I, I think I, I, I've definitely discussed my background with like close friends and shared some of myself with them in that respect but never publicly so I, I definitely can relate to feeling a little vulnerable mm. we are an invisible minority and it's easy to not talk about it it's easier I should say mm-hmm. than to share that and like I think what Kayla had brought up saying that you know you don't want people to pity you and yeah. I think that sometimes can be a hard balance to strike yeah I guess 
I guess similar to Anitra, I talk about it probably a lot with some of my friends, especially my friends from home, because I think it's it's almost more that our like high school really just didn't have great college preparedness systems in place. So a lot of us were just really not ready for college, didn't really know what was involved with college and higher education and what to do once we got there, how to even choose a school that was right for us, things like that. So I talk about it a lot, definitely with friends from home, a little bit less so with friends at school because I know that they have a very different background than me, but I know it came up in doctoring once. <laughs> um, and I remember my partner being kind of shocked. She was like, I would have never known your parents didn't go to college. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess. Like, I don't know why you would think that they did go to college. Yeah, that actually came up in doctoring for me too. And actually, I think what made me talk about it was there was like a fourth year preceptor who um, was also in the first gen low income group. And I think his willingness to share made me feel more comfortable also sharing. So that helped. I think there's also stigma or you're afraid that people might think less of you if you talk about it. And also it just doesn't come up. I mean, we dress like most people and then there's no question that comes up that specifically requires us to talk about our backgrounds. Do you think your identity and talking about your background has changed in med school versus in the past? Because I know I'm definitely more open to talking about it now. Like when I was back in middle school, when I first started an all-girls private middle school, um, I was the only person who was from a completely different socioeconomic background. And I just didn't talk about it at all. And no one knew I was coming from a program. And I was just really scared to show that I was different, even though there were certain signs, like I, like I, there was no one to drive me to birthday parties, like my mom didn't have time. And those are little signs that I was not from the same background. And that has changed a bit for me over the years, as I've been in college. And now I'm co-leading the FGLI group, which is very open way of like revealing this is my identity. And this is what I stand for him. And these are the issues I'm passionate about. So what do you guys think? Has your identity changed? Your perspective changed? Yeah, I would say that in college, I didn't realize how much being first generation and different socioeconomic status than most of my classmates was going to affect me in school. So in college, it took me a really long time to even figure out I'm having this trouble connecting to other people and, and finding things that I want to do and that I'm interested in sometimes because of my identity as being from a first generation background. I had a really hard time figuring that out. And then once I finally did, I think, and now that I'm in medical school, I feel like we have this community for FGLI students at Penn Medicine. And it just really helps me articulate better how this identity is actually impacting my time in medical school, how it's impacted me in the past and whatnot. So, I mean, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty bold person either way. So I've always probably very <laughs> openly talked about it. Um, I probably talk too much more than I don't talk enough in my life. But yeah, I think with time, I just got better at articulating it and recognizing it for the most part. Yeah, uh, I would also say I agree. I think being in medical school 
and college both made me more acutely aware of my first-gen low-income status. I think I realized that there was more at stake in not talking about my identity and not sharing that perspective and that narrative with those around me. And I think I think there's always this question of, you know, educating those around us about why the, the, the challenges and the unique issues that we face by virtue of having a certain identity, at least for me, I'll say I've heard of like this sort of question of like, why should the onus fall on minority communities to educate other people on the specific topic by sharing our stories? But I see that it can be emotionally taxing sometimes to divulge some of these more personal aspects of our lives. And honestly, Michaela, I applaud you for being bold. I, I think I'm, I'm bold in other ways, but that maybe in, in, in terms of this specifically, I think that has sort of come out more. I think, I think the boldest I've ever been in relation to my first gen low income identity and disclosing that aspect of it is being, as Cecilia said, taking the reins of the first gen low income group and running it my first year of med school. But I think that was like the first time I was very open about that, very open, very public. And it was a little disconcerting, I think, because I would, people would ask me, oh, what is Lift Us Up? Or like, what is um, FGLI? And it's interesting because when I would share that with them, there was always like this expression on their face. There's always like a moment of surprise and some degree of processing. So yeah, anyway. That was a deep question, Cecilia. (laughs) So I guess my question for you guys is really, given all of our backgrounds, why did you join the podcast and what are your goals for this podcast? What is your vision? Where do you see that? What do you see this podcast doing? That's a great question. I think for me, going along the theme of start to be more open about talking about my identity as first-gen low-income because it was something that I had avoided even in college. I would not be in the like the Questbridge affinity group photos because I didn't want to be seen as someone who is part of the group and have everyone know like this was my identity. I didn't want to have that be a factor maybe in considering my academic potential and how people treated me as a fellow peer. But then in med school and after being co-head of the FGLI group, I wanted to give more voice to students from similar backgrounds as me. Um, Because that's always been part of my passion. I wanted to advocate for students from similar backgrounds and encourage them to pursue educational opportunities and pursue careers that they're passionate about. And I realized that, like, why not start now? And what I've envisioned for this podcast, I guess, is to just have us three be kind of a relatable group or just a voice that's done in a casual setting and have students listen to our stories and maybe understand stories that are not usually talked about or students who listen to our stories can identify with us and then identify us as someone who can be their mentors and peers who can support them. Yeah, it's just like a resource that that's out there for students who are interested in medicine and interested in this topic and want to be allies and support systems for FGLI students in medicine. 
Cecilia, I think you covered it all. I was going to say a lot of the same things. I think what I envision for this podcast is it hopefully creating a community for people, like at least something that people can tune into and can hopefully feel like, you know, wow, there are people out there who understand my experiences or what I've been through and they've made it so I can too and I'm looking forward to learning myself hearing the stories of my fellow FGLIers and to seeing what this podcast will teach me about the world around me and also more maybe hopefully more about my own identity and like my relationship to it and then I think the third thing that I really hope will come out of this. I'm also hoping that those who don't consider themselves rich and or low income will also tune in and learn about our experiences and our narratives and use that to maybe empathize more. Not not saying that there is no empathy or, or that's lacking, but just so nuance their own perspective on it. That's great. I also like how you talked about how some other students who maybe aren't FGLI could also benefit from this podcast, because I think that is one of my goals too. So again, I echo the entire feeling of wanting to build this community of support for FGLI students. I feel like I went a long time without having a community, mostly because I really didn't fall into that low-income group and the first-gen low-income organization at my undergrad, for the most part, had a income bracket attached to it. So I Again, I felt for a long time that I didn't have a group and didn't really find that until Penn. And I just want other people to know that groups are out there and that they can be a mixture of identities, even within the first gen and low income identity itself. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. But again, I really just think that by not having this community, there have been such like a lack of knowledge for me in medicine and in higher education in general, as far as what the unwritten rules are of medicine and higher education. I feel like there's a lot of them. There's a lot that I just don't know. And I just kind of like want in and want that insider knowledge on. (laughs) So I'm kind of hoping that we can do some episodes that, you know, have advice and tips like the secrets to networking, the secrets to mentorship, because I still don't know if I know what a mentor really looks like all the time. (laughs) But um Yeah, so I think anyone in medicine can really benefit from some of those episodes and some of those topics. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. One last thing I wanted to add is to have this FGLI identity be a a source of pride that we can all celebrate and recognize, wow, we made it this far from our backgrounds. Um, Often, Anitra, you talk a bit in your intro about imposter syndrome in college. And I think just recognizing that Like there is a community of FGLI students here and we made it because we have the skills, we have the knowledge and the ability to do this um, because of who we are. And we can celebrate that. Wow. Well, I really had such a great time getting to know you guys. I think I found out more in this episode than I have in like our whole year being together so far and I'm pretty sure I met Anitra before even coming to Penn so (laughs) this is awesome I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for being here on the podcast co-hosting with me and I'm looking forward to how much more we can learn about each other through the rest of our episodes 
if our listeners liked this kind of conversational format, I know that we're also going to have some interview style episodes as well. But if you like this conversational format, we'd love for you to let us know, reach out to us and just make your voices heard so that we can really make this a listening experience that you enjoy. And that's it for our episode. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. If you've been enjoying MedLegs so far, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at underscore MedLegs and tell your friends about us. Also, if you're looking to keep the conversation going with us or even with other listeners just like you, join our official Facebook group titled MedLegs Podcast or reach out to us with questions, suggestions, and overall feedback about how the podcast has been going so far by emailing us at medlegspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you here next time with us on MedLegs. Thank you to Penn Health X and the Perlman School of Medicine Medical Student Government for sponsoring this episode of MedLegs. We'd like our listeners to know that while we are Penn Med students and leaders of the Penn Med FGLI student group, formerly known as Lifts Us Up, as some of our guests may refer to it, our ideas are our own. We do not speak for the Perlman School of Medicine, nor do we pretend that we represent every student's experience at our school. Thank you.